The scripture reading is the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verses 19 through 29. It can be found on page 906 in the Black Bibles. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for the fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. The word of the Lord. Well, welcome everyone to Christ the King. My name is John Trapp, one of the pastors here. So good to have each one of y'all joining us. That was Mitchell and Caitlin Kuntz reading for us. Some of y'all know Caitlin. She was our summer intern here um, at Christ the King with our youth years ago, a couple years ago. And uh, now they are going to be starting, she's going to be starting as the RUF Rice intern. Uh, A lot of y'all maybe know RUF. It's a campus ministry that many of us we're blessed by, uh, I used to be an RUF campus minister and also an RUF student, and um, Caitlin is going to be serving that ministry, which is the ministry of our denomination to the college campus. So um, just ask her about it. Uh, ask how you can be praying for her. Uh, we're so glad to have the Kuntzes here with us. Um, also, if, if this is your first time at Christ the King, just to kind of acclimate you, I want you to know this is a room full of people who think that they... Um, do not have it put together. Even though you may be looking and wondering, if, do I have to have it be all put together to be here? You don't. We, we are, I hope you were paying attention when we were confessing our sins all together and listened to us confess to God and also to one another the realities about who we are. And because of that, we, we need to hear uh, from God's word because we think that in it, we find not only that we have a need for a savior, but that we have a great savior for our need. So um, today we're going to be talking about doubt. And uh, I heard someone give a helpful metaphor for doubt uh, in the Christian faith. They compared it to uh, going on a hike. Because in, in a, lot of, a lot of ways, uh, following Jesus is a journey. And he calls us to, to come after him, to follow him. And imagine if you're going on a hike and you've got a small pebble that gets into your hiking boot. Now you could hike for a few hours with that pebble in your boot and it would bother you, but you could keep on going. But now I want you to imagine that you go an entire day and your, your foot just keeps stepping over and over and over again on that pebble. And, and then now let's 
imagine that you go to bed with your shoes on and you wake up the next morning and you start walking again on that same pebble over and over and over again. Now, you're eventually, if you're on a, let's say you're on an overnight backpacking trip, if you never take your boot off and get that pebble out, eventually you're going to have a situation on your hands. You're going to be limping. You may even have an infection that sets in. And in the same way, doubts can be like pebbles in our boot as we, as we try to follow Jesus. And oftentimes, we can feel like in the church that there's no space to kick off our boots and to, to get the pebbles out, to take out the doubts, to examine them and to, to assess them before we keep on our journey. And if we, if we don't actually do that, if the church isn't a place where we can bring our doubts to light, then it can actually become very difficult to follow Jesus. And I think that this story in many ways is a gift to us from the Holy Spirit through the Apostle John who records a disciple who's doubting, who's doubting the Easter story. It's a, it's a week later in the story and now Thomas is doubting. Maybe that's you here this morning. Maybe you're here. We had Easter last week. It was fun. There were flowers. But now it's you know, back to life and maybe you have doubts. This story is for us. It's really, it's really for, for anyone who would have doubts. And, and the reality is all of us have doubts, whether you're a Christian or not. Um, a lot of y'all know that I like to play disc golf. Um, or golf, as I like to call it. Some of y'all play ball golf. I play disc golf. Um, so I, I used to play this competitively in Austin, and I got matched up to play with this guy. And we, uh, we were playing 18 holes, and by like the 12th hole, he was just destroying me. I was playing terribly. He was, he, he was killing me. And so we just started talking about um, life and other things, and I found out that he was uh, about to graduate from the University of Texas with a degree in biology, and I was asking him um, just about all, all kinds of questions, what he's learned, and he, he reveals to me that he's uh, an atheist, and he's a biology major, and thinks that the, you know, the world uh, it came into being for the Big Bang, and believes in evolution, and doesn't, you know, all, all that stuff. So we get to the end of the round, and... Um, we're on the last hole, and I said, okay, we've talked a lot about life. Here's my qu- next question for you, though. What do you think happens when you die? And he got really quiet for the first time the whole round because he was just destroying me and really feeling great about himself, I think. But he got really quiet. He said, I, he said, I don't know, but I try not to think about that too much. So e- even he had doubts. His worldview would tell him, actually, when you die, you just go back into, you know, the universe, or you you cease to exist. But even he had doubts about his worldview. All all of us have have places where we face doubts. So this morning, I want want us to see first why we doubt, second, Jesus' response to our doubt, and then third, so what? Why we doubt, Jesus' response, so what? Let's pray and ask him to help us. Father, thank you for your word. We pray that you would meet us uh, now as we gather around it. Help us to see our need for you and your great provision of your son, Jesus. We ask in his name. Amen. 
So first off, let's talk about why we doubt and why we see Thomas doubting here in this passage. Um, Thomas, in many ways, is, is like us and just in that he wants more data. He wants more proof. In, in verse 25, Thomas says, you know, unless I can see the nail marks, unless I can touch them, he wants, he wants improvable, measurable data empirical data and it's true in our world today people might say they have doubt about Christianity because of insufficient data they want more proof maybe have questions maybe you've had questions like why should I trust the Bible why should I trust that the Bible is the inspired word of God how do I know that the right books got into the Bible or or why should I trust that miracles happen why should I believe that Jesus of Nazareth is currently alive? There's all kinds of questions like this from the Bible that, that may, maybe you've had. I know that I've had. And I, I can't like, I'm not gonna like set them up and knock them down right now because that we'd be here a while. But I do want you to see first that there are really good answers to, to all of these questions. Um, and there are smart scholarly people who've thought long and hard about these questions. If you want to learn more about that, would love, I'd love to talk to you about the resources that have been helpful for me, a couple books that maybe you could even check out if you wanted to. One would be N.T. Wright's book, The Resurrection of the Son of God, or you could look at Lee Strobel's book, The Case for Christ, or even C.S. Lewis's book, Mere Christianity. But here's the thing, you, you can read all of those books and yet you'll find that even with more proof and even with more evidence, you can still ask for more proof. You can still not feel like you have enough. This is what we see happening all throughout the book of John. I mean, think of Thomas, who's doubting right now. Think of all the data that he has seen and witnessed already in the book of John alone. He's seen Jesus turn water to wine. He's seen Jesus heal a blind man. He's seen Jesus heal a man who was crippled from birth. He's seen Jesus feed 5,000 people with a couple pieces of fish and bread. He's seen Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead. And now he's hearing about this great miracle that Jesus has risen from the dead. And he's like, I need more proof. And friends, you and I will never have all the data that Thomas got to have. I mean, John says later, in a couple of verses after this passage that we read, all the books in the world couldn't contain all the things that we saw Jesus do. I mean, Thomas had all the data you could ever want, and yet he still is doubting. I, I remember thinking this, maybe you've had this thought before. You know, it'd be way easier if Jesus hadn't decided to come when he did. What He should have come in like 2020, when everyone's got smartphones. And if he did a miracle, you know, we could just record it and post it on the internet and it'd be way easier to believe. Now let's pause at that thought for a second. If you pulled out Instagram and saw that there was a Jewish rabbi in Israel who had, who had healed somebody who said they were blind, would you just immediately believe that? Of course not. What would we say? I want to see more proof. Show me more. I need to be there and see it. And then even if you were there and you saw it, I need to be closer. I need to touch it. I need to see it. 
we would want more proof all the time. That's exactly what's happening here. And friends, what this means, and this is true not just for Christianity, but for any worldview, every worldview requires faith. You may be wondering, what what is a worldview? A worldview is a framework through which we interpret reality and answer life's ultimate questions. Now, someone might say, well, my worldview is science. Um, But listen, I I love science, by the way. Science is great. But a, a worldview that all that exists is scientific, can be scientifically measured, which would, that would be the worldview of materialism, that worldview requires faith too. The scientific method is, is wonderful, I love it, but it, it doesn't answer everything. Science can only answer questions based on observations. So if you say, I don't believe the spiritual world exists because I believe in science, that isn't a scientific statement. That's a faith statement that assumes that there's not a world outside of the material world. And science, because it measures the observable material world, cannot prove that an unobservable spiritual world doesn't exist. The person who claims there is no God is making just as much of a faith claim as the person who says that there is one. So we need to level the playing field on worldviews. They all require faith. We can't just base our worldview and say, because I have all the right data, I can know with certainty that this is the right one. They all require faith. Belief that the material world is all that there is requires faith. And belief that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead requires faith. And that doesn't mean that we just throw out evidence and we don't look at reason. No, we do. We do. That's, that's incredibly important. And I, again, encourage you, if you are someone who feels like you need more answers to some of these questions, that you need more data, go and look for it. Actually look for it in the context of the church community. We're going to talk about that more in a second. But don't feel like you shouldn't go look for reasons. They're, they're out there. They're good reasons. But I want you to know that it will not negate you needing faith. So Thomas has his doubts, but he's not just doubting here for insufficient data. He's also doubting for personal reasons. And if we're honest, oftentimes the reasons that we have doubts and we may shroud them with, you know, I need more answers to my questions. I have all these kind of, intellectual questions that I have about the Bible, but oftentimes at the heart of our doubts are really personal reasons. Thomas's world has been entirely flipped upside down. Think about the last four days of this guy's life. For three years, he's been traveling with Jesus and this small group of friends. He's been learning at Jesus's feet, He's been following this rabbi and now he has seen Jesus arrested. He's seen all of his friends run away from Jesus. He's dealt with the tragedy of what his friend Judas did. That, that his, hey, they were friends. It's, it's easy for us to forget that. Judas was his close friend. 
And now not only has he seen Jesus betray Jesus, but he's also seen his friend commit suicide. His world has been flipped upside down. He's seen Peter, the the leader of their group of friends under Jesus, he's seen Peter deny even knowing Jesus. And he's seen Jesus go through the mockery of a trial, be be, be wrongfully arrested and punished with death on a cross. Thomas's world has been completely turned upside down by tragedy after tragedy these last few days. And tragedy striking can make us doubt. I remember uh, when Chrissy and I, my wife Chrissy, and she, just so you know, she told me I can, any story I tell, just know I've gotten permission to tell it. So um, when Chrissy and I first found out that um, she was pregnant, we were absolutely thrilled. Such fun news. It was this wonderful surprise. We were so excited. And we go to our first doctor's appointment and we keep, we're, we're elated. And we go home after our, the appointment and we get a phone call from the doctor and the doctor tells us that we're going to miscarry. Now, I used to think that really tragic events had to be something extraordinary, something uncommon. It was really then that I realized that tragedy can be in very, very common things, things that touch many different people. And we were devastated. And I remember sitting on the couch next to my weeping wife, feeling completely powerless and unable to do anything to fix it. And it's in moments like that that doubt can bubble up. God, why? Why would you let this happen to us? We were so excited. We were gonna do our very best. We were going to try to follow you as we, as we took care of the child. Why would you let this happen? It's when tragedy strikes that doubt can flare up. What about you? Maybe someone that you love is very sick and dying. Maybe you're struggling to get pregnant. Or, or is it a child that, that you love who is far from the Lord and far from you or a grandchild? And, and perhaps it's things like that that cause doubt to bubble up inside you. So often we doubt because of personal reasons. That's what's happening with Thomas. Or maybe, maybe it feels like God is doing something for everyone else but you. I mean, Thomas would have felt that. Thomas misses the first Easter Sunday. Did you see that? The first day, everyone's there except Thomas. Kind of a big one to miss. He, come, he shows back up and they're like, Jesus was here. And he breathed on us and he gave us the Holy Spirit and he gave us this great mission and you, you missed it, Thomas. I mean, have you ever felt that way? Like God is at work in everyone else's life except you? And it makes you begin to doubt. It, is, does he love me? Is he, is he at work in my life? Is he even real? Or perhaps you have doubts because you failed Jesus. You wonder if he even wants anything to do with you anymore. I mean, Thomas could have doubts like that. 
the night before Jesus dies, when he institutes the Lord's Supper, he looks at his disciples and he says, you will all fall away from me. And in Mark chapter 14, Mark, Mark records this really interesting note that only he records in verse 31 of chapter 14. Because Peter stands up and he's like, they may all, they may all like flee from you, but I won't. Even if I have to die, I'll never deny you. And then verse 31 says this, they all said the same thing. All the disciples are saying, we'll never leave you. We'll never flee from you. We're with you to the end. Later that night, 19 verses later, Mark 14, 50, here's the quote. Jesus is arrested, Mark 14, 50, and they all left him and fled. Just a few hours later, Thomas, out of fear, flees. He fails Jesus. When Jesus most needs him to be by his side, Thomas leaves him. And now Thomas is doubting. Thomas most needs Jesus. And Jesus shows up. It's my second point. Jesus' response. He shows up to Thomas in his fear. In verse 19 and 26, did you notice um, how they are gathered? The doors are locked because they're afraid. They're, they're afraid, and in verse 19, all the disciples are afraid. They're in the room, and they're probably doubting the message that they've just heard from, from Mary, that he's risen, and from John, and from Peter, who, who saw that the, the tomb was empty. They, they've been told, the tomb's empty, Jesus is no longer there, and they're, they're afraid, and they're doubting, and it's through that locked door that Jesus enters in. Jesus enters in, through the locked door in verse 19 and then, eight, and then eight days later in verse 26, he enters in and you would imagine his first thing as he sees this group of people who have run away from him when they said that they wouldn't, who have failed him, that he would look at them and be like, okay, now you've got some explaining to do. Why I ought to, you know. Instead, do you see what the, the first thing that the Lord Jesus says to these disciples who have failed him, who have doubted him, who've denied him, the first thing he says to them is peace. Peace be with you. He says it three times. In verse 19, in verse 21, and verse 26, peace. It's the perfect word for people who are doubting. When you're doubting, you feel all that churning inside of you, the insecurity, not knowing where you stand or what you can even stand on, those kinds of doubts. And Jesus says, he says to that, the same thing that he says when the disciples are on the boat and a storm, a storm comes and waves are crashing over the side of the boat and the wind is howling and Jesus looks at the water, he looks at the wind and he says, peace to the churning, to the storm-tossed disciples, peace. Jesus' word to us in our doubt is peace. This story, friends, it is a gift to the church for doubting people, for people who struggle, for people who fail. Jesus, who is God's word made flesh, John tells us, he speaks God's word of peace and yet he also embodies He's God's word made flesh. He doesn't just speak peace. He embodies the word peace to, to Thomas by giving him his body. Jesus' response to 
Thomas isn't just to speak peace to him, but literally to give him his body. Here, Thomas. And he says, do not disbelieve, but believe. That's what Jesus wants for Thomas. He wants for Thomas to believe. And do you remember what this belief does? John tells us in his prologue in John 1, 12. All who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. What does Jesus want for Thomas? This this person who has acted like a coward, like a runaway, who has doubted. What does Jesus want for this failure of a man? He wants him to be God's child. So he gives him his body. Thomas, believe. And it's in verse 28 that Thomas makes the most theologically accurate statement about Jesus in the entire book of John. He says, my Lord and my God. Jesus goes through the demands for evidence. He goes through failure, through disappointment, through tragedy, through doubts, and literally through locked doors in order to get Thomas and to give him his body so he'll believe. Maybe you're starting to feel like, well, that's great for Thomas. Good for you, Thomas. You asked for his body and you got it. That must have been convenient. But friends, what I want you to see is that Jesus has not stopped giving his body to doubters. He gives us his body too. First, we see Jesus with his body purchase the salvation of his people on the cross so that John 1.12 can be true, so that anyone who believes in his name can have the right to become the child of God. Jesus' body sacrificed for you is enough to save you, doubts and all. You aren't saved by having a big, strong faith. A weak faith. Jesus calls it like a mustard, a mustard seed faith. You've seen a mustard seed before? It ain't big. A weak faith, doubts and all, is a saving faith if it's in the true Savior. You aren't saved by having a big, strong faith. If you were saved by the strength of your faith, then guess who gets to be the hero of your salvation story? You do. That's why we like to believe that sometimes. We like to be the hero of our stories. But if you're saved by the strength of your Savior rather than the strength of your faith, if you're saved by the strength of your Savior, guess who's the hero of your salvation? He is. Jesus is the hero. He's the hero that we need. And he's given us his body so that we could be saved. But he also has given us his body, what 1 Corinthians 12 calls his body, the church. The night that Chrissy and I found out about our miscarriage, we had friends, uh, many of y'all know them, they go to church here, Joe and Amy Cavanaugh, and they were scheduled to come over to our house. We've been watching 24 on DVD, back when that was a thing, watching DVDs. And uh, they were were gonna come over to our house, and we just heard this sad news, and so I called them, I said, hey, um, we're not really up for, for watching TV tonight. And about 30 minutes later, we got like the most timid, knock on our door and we opened the door and there were Joe and Amy and I think some Sour Patch Kids and Flowers were involved too and they were right there 
And they just, I mean, Big Joe's got a big hug. He just buried me. He buried me in a big hug and they wept with us. And as they did that, you know what I thought? God loves us. He's given us his body, the church, so that we might know that he loves us. Did you see in verse 22 what Jesus does with these disciples? He breathes on them and gives them the Holy Spirit so that they can, these are the ones who are going to start the church so that they can be his body, the ones who bear in their own bodies the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. See, what Thomas needed was to be with the body of Christ in his doubt because that's where Jesus meets him. And the same is true for you and for me. Where we need to be and process our doubt is with Christ's people, with his body. So that we might know that he loves us and is caring for us. But not only does he give them his body in his in the crucifixion and resurrection, not only does Christ give us his body, the church, he also gives us the Lord's Supper. He takes bread right before he's about to give it to these, these disciples who are gonna run away and leave him. And he says, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Jesus' body, his body is for you. He's saying, put this bread in your mouth and physically experience that I am for you and that I love you. He did it for Thomas, and in a spiritual sense, he does the very same thing with us at the table, feeding us with his body. So what? Last point, so what? First off, I want you to know that to believe in Jesus, and even when you don't see him, is a blessing. Jesus says it in verse 29. And sometimes that may not, it, that may not feel like a blessing, But it's the same kind of blessing that Jesus talks about in the Sermon on the Mount when he says things like, blessed are the poor in spirit, or blessed are those who mourn, or blessed are those who are persecuted. Those don't sound like blessings, do they? Blessed are those who believe and have not yet seen. Kind of like, I'd like to, can I just like pass on that blessing and see? I'd love to just see. But the reason that all of those things are blessings is because each one of those mourning, being poor in spirit, being persecuted, believing and not seeing, all of those things are things that require us to depend more on God. And to believe without seeing, first off, that's how most everyone else in the Bible had to believe. Okay, we're, not, we're, we're in good company. Most people in the, in the story of scriptures didn't get to see everything that the disciples saw. But to believe without seeing also means that we can't trust ourselves. We can't trust, the the, the foundation of our faith is not on what we have seen. It's on him. It's on what he's done. It's on who he is. We become more dependent on him. This means that we can bring our doubt to Jesus. Jesus can handle our doubts. My question for you is what are the locked doors in your minds that you have tried to keep Jesus out of because you don't think he can handle those doubts? Jesus has given you his body to process those doubts, friends. 
Bring your doubts to the church, to your pastors. I would love to talk to you if you have doubts. To your Bible study leaders, if you have a Bible study leader, to your friends in the church. Let's process them. Consider Thomas. He's filled with doubt, and yet he still shows up that next Sunday. And sometimes faith just looks like showing up. That's like mustard seed faith. Maybe you don't have that much. My prayer for you is that God would give you the faith to show up in your doubt and with your doubt in the church because the church is the place where Jesus gives his body in community and the Lord's Supper so that you can be strengthened and encouraged like Thomas. Because the reality is that sometimes faith looks like doing what you need to do even when you don't really feel like it. But we bring our doubts to Jesus knowing, knowing that he can handle them. He can handle the disciples' doubts. The way Matthew 28, the book of Matthew, ends in Matthew 28, it's kind of nuts. Jesus is about to send out his disciples on the Great Commission. You know, if you've grown up in the church, you've heard a lot about the Great Commission when Jesus says, go forth, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Do you know what happens right before the Great Commission? Right before he commissions those guys, listen to what's said about them in Matthew 28. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. That is like an epic setting. They're, about, they're on the mountain. They're gonna get the, big, the great commission from Jesus. You know what it says about them next? And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. They're like, I don't know about this. They're on a mountain with Jesus. And yet they're still doubting. First off, I think this is proof that this is recorded history because if you're making this up, you're like, they saw and they totally believed everything and you should too. Here we go. They're recording what happened and some of them actually doubted. But I want you to see that Jesus still commissions them. He still is going to use people who are doubters, who are weak. He's gonna use them to go and herald the good news of the good savior who rescues people like them, people like us. Friends, this also means that we need to be patient with people who doubt. If you have people in your life who are doubting, who doubt Jesus, who doubt if any of this is true, continue to be in community with them, continue to talk to them, but also be patient with them because that's what Jesus was like. We didn't really talk much about this, but in John 7, we were going through John 7, in verse five, there's this little note that's made. It says this, not even his brothers believed in him. Jesus' own brothers didn't believe that he was who he said he was in John chapter seven. One of those brothers is a guy named Jude. He has a book in the Bible, the second to the last book of the Bible was written by one of Jesus' brothers named Jude. Jesus' brother, he grew up with Jesus. He had a lot of data points. And he doubted Jesus, and yet something happened with Jude. It's a whole separate sermon. It's kind of crazy. Something happened with Jude. He went from doubting his brother to believing that his brother was the son of God. I love my brother. He's great. I will never mistake him for that. (laughs) Jude thought that Jesus was the son of God. And you know what he says in his book? It's a a one-chapter book. But in verse 22, he says, have mercy on those who doubt. Now, why would Jude say such a thing? Because he knows what his brother's like. He knows the patience of his brother and how his brother was patient with him. 
He's saying, don't shame people who doubt. Listen to them, love them, speak words of peace to them because that's what my brother did. If you're a Christian, how do you face your doubts? You don't do it alone. You do it knowing that Jesus has given himself for you. And in giving himself for you, he has given you ways to be reassured that he loves you and that he is for you. So have the faith to do what you need to, to go be with Christ's body, the church, to receive Christ's body and the Lord's Supper, to do it even if you don't feel like it, knowing that what matters most is not how you feel about God, but what matters most is how God feels about you. And that he is patient with his people who doubt and who struggle. That he is faithful when we struggle in our faith. And if you aren't a Christian this morning, my offer to you is simple. Bring your doubts to Jesus. Consider who he is claiming to be. Consider how he is claiming to be. As he deals with his doubting disciples. What if God really is this gracious? That would be the kind of God worthy of your belief. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks for your word and we give you thanks for how you have revealed your character through your word and through your word made flesh given to us uh, in love in your son Jesus. We pray that you would help us to follow him, um, that you would help us to kick off our boots when we need to and to process our doubt with you in the context of your church community. We thank you that you have given us your very body, Jesus so that we may process our doubt. We pray all this in your name, amen.